Brothers and sisters, please turn with me this morning to our text, which comes from 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, as we'll be looking at verses 13 and 14 this morning. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Hear with me then the reading of God's holy word. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. As far as the reading of God's word, it is only natural uh, when you see something or hear something terrifying to be to become afraid. As children, I would guess most of us uh, read or had someone read to us a short story about a monster that hides under your bed. We're all familiar with that story. And by the end of the story, when a child hears that, they usually become fearful and scared that a monster also hides under their bed. And at night when they're sleeping, it will come out and get them. And so they react by becoming too frightened to fall asleep or Maybe they want to sleep with the lights on, or they don't even want to sleep in their bed anymore. But even though they've heard something fearful, any decent parent doesn't just send them off to bed without first comforting their child by going out of the way to make them feel assured that no monster will jump out and get them. The parent usually takes their child into the room, lifts the comforter up and gets down on their knees, and checks under the bed to demonstrate, to show that child that no monster is there. And then they tell them, you would never let anything happen to them so they can rest easy without being gripped by constant fear and worry at night. And yet, brothers and sisters, even though we're now adults, we ourselves are not immune to becoming frightened when hearing or seeing something terrifying. And just like a child, we also need words of comfort which give us repose from immoderate worry. And this brought to mind the hymn, The Church's One Foundation, as I thought about this, where we sing in the third stanza about the church. Though with scornful wonder men see her so oppressed, by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed, yet saints their watch are keeping, their cry goes up how long, and soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song. But not that the church be kept in despair by our present condition, by being oppressed and by schisms and heresies. Uh, but in stanza four, then, we are reminded and comforted by these words. The church shall never perish. Her dear Lord to defend, to guide, sustain, and cherish is with her to the end. Though there be those that hate her and false sons in her pale, against or foe or traitor, she ever shall prevail. You see in this hymn, the church is reminded that Christ is the foundation of the church, and so we will prevail because our victory has been won already by Christ. Nothing can stand in the way of that. And it is that same comfort today that Paul affords the saints with by his word. The saints have just finished hearing that Antichrist, the man of sin, will come to deceive those who profess faith in Christ, and many will become sons 
and daughters of destruction through his many lines. But Paul's message to the saints in our text this morning is, Fear not. Fear not, because God from the beginning, from all of eternity, has chosen you. And he has chosen you because he loves you. And those whom God has set his love upon will never perish, nor succumb to the wiles of Satan. This is why Paul can call the saints in, uh, in Thessalonica, beloved by the Lord. It was that electing love of God that has caused them and us to be his adopted sons and daughters. Now, we were not the, the cause of our election in God's choosing, and we had no hand in it. This is exactly what Moses speaks to the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 and 7, when he says this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are in the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loves you. This is likewise what Jesus proclaims to Nicodemus in John 3.16, saying, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You see, God gave His Son to die for those whom He has set His eternal love upon, and those whom He has set His eternal love upon have eternal life and will never perish. This is according to the very decree of God. And if God has decreed it, we can be sure Satan will never be able to shake the decree of God. He will never be able to seduce your souls to abandon your Savior who purchased you by His blood, as you are now the beloved by God. What comforting words there must have been to these worrisome saints. What soothing words to their souls, and what soothing words these ought to be to our souls as well. As what Paul speaks is true for them, is likewise true for you and I and believers everywhere. God has chosen you from the beginning, we read in verse 13. Or the ESV may render it, chose you as the first fruits. But other manuscripts have it, chose you from the beginning, which many interpreters believe fits the text better, in which I agree. And so what Paul is telling the saints is not to, is, is to fear not, because God, having set his love upon them, has chosen them from the beginning for what? To be saved. If you are a believer, Paul says you were chosen by God for salvation. And the beginning that Paul speaks of is before the foundation of the world. Just as he says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's election. And it's what follows from this reality in verses 13 and 14 that we will look to unpack then in greater detail this morning. So I have really only one point for this morning that we will concern ourselves, and it is this. How does the decree of salvation come to pass? And what Paul reveals to them should serve to invigorate our very own hearts. Because what he highlights are two key aspects of God making us his adopted children, and what they will show to us 
is that salvation starts and ends with God. That is why this should be comforting for you to hear this morning. God is salvation's author and finisher. And so Paul says in verse 13 that believers are saved through sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth. Now many of the Reformed commentators on this text in the 16th and 17th centuries cited Paul's reason for pointing to sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth as a means by which our election is brought about because it is due to the fact that these two aspects of our salvation bring us knowledge of our election. And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. What did we say was the purpose of our text? We said it was to comfort the saints that they were not going to be deceived by the Antichrist. And so what does Paul do here? He comforts them, telling them that they aren't going to be overcome by the evil one, because God has chosen them from the beginning to be saved, and they have experiential knowledge of God's election for them through sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth. You see, every other religion essentially keeps you guessing. They keep you in bondage to doubt. But if you cannot be sure that you are counted among God's elect, then you have no comfort in this life. You'll always be unsure. I'm sure we've all spoken with people from different religions, and everyone you talk to, they can never really know if they are truly saved. They think so. Uh, maybe as long as they don't do anything to, to mess it up. But the comfort in the Christian life is that God elected you. And if he elected you to salvation, he likewise elected you to sanctification and faith. Which means just as God brought about your election without your help, God will likewise bring about by his power your sanctification by the Spirit and your faith as well. You can't mess it up, because it is not us, but God, who completes his work. Now, the sanctification of the Spirit Paul speaks of here isn't progressive sanctification. He's not saying you were saved through, over time, becoming more conformed to the image of Christ. But rather, what he refers to here is regeneration by the Spirit. This is what is promised in Ezekiel 36. God promises to give us a new heart and to put His Spirit inside of us. And now, having been given a new heart, having the heart of stone removed and been given a heart of flesh, which in this sense of the word man is passive in, the sinner now is willing to have Christ and to believe in the truth. You see, without a changed heart, you will never accept the truth of God's Word. It is this internal renovation of the corrupt nature which affects our minds, our will, and our affection, which causes us then to, in response, be inclined to turn to God. Right? We love God because He first loved us, and that love was shown to us in giving us His Spirit. And what does this Spirit do in the life of the believer? Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The regenerating work of the Spirit confirms to us that we are adopted sons and daughters. 
the Spirit who turns you from hating God to now loving God, and now who works inside of you is a testimony to each of you that you are His, that you are one whom God has chosen from the beginning. This is why Paul chooses to highlight this aspect of their salvation, the sanctification of the Spirit, because it should bring them comfort, because it's something they have knowledge of, it's something they've experienced, and it's something you likewise, if you are a believer, have experienced also. You who once hated God's law, now love it. You who once desired to live selfishly for yourself, now wish to dedicate your life to God. You who once found gratification in evil thoughts and evil actions, now hate evil and find your heart's delight in meditating upon heaven and doing good. And yet this internal renovation of man and regeneration doesn't just consist in a changed heart, but a whole change of person. Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You see, it was the Spirit given to us by God who has opened our eyes to see the light of the gospel. And this is that second aspect of how God brings about his decree of salvation. First, by the sanctification of the Spirit, and once the Spirit opened our hearts and minds, we are now enabled by God to believe the truth. This too comes from God. Belief in the truth is a gift from God. Philippians chapter 1 verse 29, we, we've read in the past, it has been granted to you to believe, and that truth is the Word of God, and the one who revealed the truth, and the one who is the truth personified, which is Christ. We read in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Those who have been regenerated by the Spirit and enlightened in their mind believe that Christ alone is Savior. We also believe that there is only one true God. If you remember in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 9, what does Paul tell the Thessalonians that others were reporting to him about them? It was that they turned from idols to the living and true God. And so it is belief in the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. It is belief in Christ and what he has accomplished and who he is that consists of that truth that these one-time pagan sinners now believe. And it is this aspect of God's decree of salvation, belief in the truth, or faith, that also brings comfort to worried saints. John, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. And in verse 4 we read, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. And this is the confidence we should be given likewise, brothers and sisters. That the tempter, no matter how wily and cunning he, he may be, 
And although he attacks daily with his lying, we already have victory because we have been given faith. And faith is what God arms us with for each day as we awaken to defend ourselves against Satan. If you think of yourself like a fortress, you are never left unguarded by God. If the evil one tries to hop over the walls, he is defeated by faith. If he tries to sneak in through the front gate, he is defeated by faith. And if he tries to enter by attacking with every weapon he has, he will be defeated by faith. Those without faith are the vulnerable ones. They're left open for attack because they have no shield to defend themselves against the enemy. And so they will be deceived. But such is not true of you and I, and this should not only give us comfort, but it should also give us courage. Not to fear what Satan can do, because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And so if you have belief in the truth, and that faith has in times past helped you to overcome Satan's attacks on your mind, then this too likewise provides for you experiential knowledge that God will protect you from harm through faith because he has done so time and time again. And it is in verse 14 then that Paul unfolds how the saints acquire such faith. And what does he say? He says this, to, to this he has called you through our gospel. How did the saints come to faith? It is through the gospel. So what this means is that if God has chose you from the beginning, and the decree of salvation comes to pass through the sanctification of the Spirit, and belief in the truth, and this belief in truth comes through the gospel, then it is ordinarily only through the hearing of the gospel that one comes to be saved. Because it is this gospel that God has appointed as a means to bring about our salvation. It is a proclamation of the life and death of Christ and the call to repentance and belief in truth. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 10 verses 14. And 17. How are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. This is why preaching the word on Sunday, and not giving ten steps to a better you, is what ministers have been appointed to do. Because ten steps to a better you is law, and law doesn't bring life. But preaching Christ from the text of, of Scripture is gospel. That's what all people everywhere need to hear, the gospel, which are life-giving words. It is the voice of the gospel upon the ear of the sinner that causes God to awaken the hearts of the elect. And even the ears to hear though do not arise forth from you and I, but it, that too comes from the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, we read this starting in verse 1. These are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab. Besides the covenant that God made with them at Horeb, and Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt 
to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. You see, it's only when God has opened your ears that you can hear the sweet melody of the gospel. It is only when you have ears to hear that you hear the voice of God speaking to you internally in your heart. It was Robert Rollock who said that it is the cry of God alone that kindles up faith, not your free will. And that cry is the word of God proclaimed in the gospel. This is what we usually call the, the inward call as opposed to just the outward call of the gospel that all people experience when it is proclaimed. But you see, only those whom God has chose from the beginning are the recipients of this inward call where the promises of God are presented and received by the heart. In John chapter 6, verse 37, this is what we read. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. You see, brothers and sisters, that inward call is an irresistible call. Just like when you were young and you were outside playing with your friends in the neighborhood and you heard a parent yell, time to come in to eat dinner. You kept playing, knowing that wasn't your parent's voice. But as soon as you heard the voice of your parents yell, time to come in, you ran home to eat. For the believer, you too know that you belong to God if the Son of God has shouted to you and awakened you to faith in Him. This is what John records Jesus saying in John chapter 5, verse 25. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. As Robert Rollick also said of our text today, there is no faith without calling. There is no calling without the voice of the gospel and no life without the call of the gospel. You, brothers and sisters, may know that you are the elect of God chosen from the beginning and made alive if you have heard the inward call of God the voice of the gospel in your heart, and by faith you have trusted in Christ as your Savior. We can take comfort and forsake fear that Satan will be able to seduce our souls to abandon Christ because we know Christ's voice, and everything that isn't Christ's voice is to be rejected. Now sadly, what this also means is that you have no assurance and you have no comfort if you have not heard the cry of the Lord. And the end for those who reject the truth is eternal damnation. Refusal to love the truth is the refusal of God's call to salvation proclaimed in His gospel. And this only brings a withdrawing of God's grace and an allowance of the sinner to fall into greater deception, believing what is false in order that they may be condemned. So today, if you hear the voice of Christ do not turn away, do not harden your heart, and do not despise the truth. But ask that the Lord would save you through the sanctification of the Spirit 
and belief in the truth through the hearing of the gospel. Because what awaits the believer? Paul says in verse 14, To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. As the unbeliever receives eternal destruction, the believer has the promise of glory in heaven with Christ forever, which Christ purchased. And yet, even though we will be in glory for all of eternity, what is also true is what Calvin says, which is not only do we receive glory, but more importantly, Christ acquired us for His glory. This is the ends for which salvation was sought. You see, everything Paul has described in the decree of salvation is a work of God, which is for our benefit. But even more than that, it is for His glory. God's choosing and the working out of our salvation is all a work of God. It is theocentric. This is why God receives the glory, because He alone initiated our salvation. He has carried it out. And it is He who will bring it to completion. And what can bring faint-hearted sinners more comfort than that? What a beautiful picture presented by our Lord in His Word today. The execution of our election brought forth by God, having been brought to faith in Christ, and all His benefits applied to us by the Spirit. When you feel down, brothers and sisters, or you start to doubt, or you become fearful, or you begin to feel yourself sliding back into sinful patterns, feeling Satan's attack and feeling like he is winning, remember this text. You are objects of God's special love. He has set his electing love upon you, and no one can shake his love from off of you. For God has sent his spirit to indwell you and to bear witness that you are an adopted child, and you should never forget that. Always and often think back to His work in your life, reminding yourselves of your salvation as He has called you forth with the inward call of the gospel, and now made you a new creation in Christ through faith. Faith being another testimony of our overcoming this world. These words Paul speaks are God's very own words of consolation to his people, that we may know that we have eternal life, that we may be assured that God has chosen us from the beginning to be saved. And just as a parent who in our introduction lifts the comforter from the bed in order to bring his child relief that no one will harm them, there's no one under the, the bed, our Father, too, likewise, pulls back the comforter, so to speak, for us by testifying to our hearts that we are His and that we are safe from the evil one through the sanctification of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He comforts us and He allows us to recognize our salvation, a salvation you were chosen to by God. And if this was our Lord's purpose, Nothing shall stand in his way. Brothers and sisters, please bow your heads with me in prayer.
Father, we thank you as you have most mercifully comforted your children with these sweet words of grace. We ask, Lord, that each day we would be reminded of the gospel and acknowledge the gospel blessings we have, having been united to Christ by faith. And it is through this union that we seek a daily supply of your grace and strength to overcome the world and to not fall into sin's temptation. We ask you to cause us to be greater lovers of heaven, that we would not be idle, but use our time seeking and setting our minds on things above by the inworking of the Holy Spirit. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen.